Hello everyone and welcome to The Way Station where magic meets medicine. I'm Chosen Eyes and this is Speak Easy, a podcast with me, Chosen Eyes. Quick disclaimer before we get started, I am a doctor of acupuncture and while my credential says oriental, eastern medicine and also a spiritual health and wellness professional. While I do touch on areas that involve mental health, physical and spiritual well-being, I am not your practitioner. So please, by all means, reach out to a licensed mental health professional or your primary care physician before discussing or implementing anything that is discussed here. In other words, I ain't your doctor, I ain't your therapist. Don't put that shit on me. Make a well-informed decision and talk to those people who are in your circle and in your corner. Should you need help finding one, reach out. Got you covered. episode what is this six ah, so weird but so cool i am chosen eyes as already stated hope you all are doing wonderful on your side of the multiverse i'm hanging in there uh gonna be kind of honest it's been a very weird rocky tumultuous exhilarating exciting overwhelming confusing but fucking fantastic uh, last couple of weeks. <laughs> That's a lot. I know the whole thing. Um, but this is a platform for being honest, right? So um, let's dive right into our verbal spritzer, actually, um, at least the title of it. And then we're going to take a moment, quick five second pause so everybody can take a few deep breaths because I'm not going to lie to you. This episode is uh, going to be a little heavy. We're talking about the sadness and winning. So take five seconds and we're going to come back and talk about how trauma brings out truth. All right, welcome back. So let's get into this, right? Trauma brings out truth. Now, I'm, I guess I'm supposed to say trigger warning, but not really. Um, in all honesty, this may be something that's a little jarring for some people to digest, and I'm just going to be real about it. Um, I can see how on the surface it seems as if by saying that trauma brings out truth, I'm encouraging and promoting trauma and traumatic um, experiences in one's life. And that's not necessarily at all where I'm coming from. Um, I am a person who believes that from every situation, even those that are the most heinous and most fucked up, there's usually something um, either to be gained or to be learned from a situation. And it does not mean that it's always a positive thing. I don't believe in toxic positivity because I feel that that actually begets more toxicity, no matter how you dress it up. So when I'm talking about trauma bringing out truth, I am talking about how within traumatic events, experiences, dynamics, usually there is a truth that is buried beneath the surface that is manifesting itself outward in a very toxic capacity. And what do I mean by that? Typically, 
we know statistically speaking that most people who grow into roles of being abusers, right? So when we're talking about domestic violence and you have an individual who is putting their hands on their significant other, statistically speaking, a high percentage of those individuals have undergone some form of physical, psychological, mental, or in some instances, even spiritual abuse within their lifetimes prior to meeting the person that now becomes the individual they are now abusing. So it's a vicious cycle, right? So the physical manifestation of that truth of I have been abused and have trauma that is unresolved is physically lashing out on someone else recreating that trauma. There's truth in that in that perhaps this person is not saying this verbally, but their actions are actually speaking for them. The repetition in the pattern, that loop, is speaking that truth. When we are talking about intergenerational trauma and curses, which is a huge topic and, and you know, its own buzz kind of thing. Um, the biggest thing is that we are talking about ending cycles of trauma and abuse. Usually we're talking about this from a place of eh, psychological and verbal, so more mental types of trauma, right? An example of this, and this is something seemingly innocuous, but I had to check myself about it. Going to a restaurant with a family, right? So with my family, um, my husband and I are both black, um, both Americans. My husband, I'm sorry, my child, same, right? So we're a black family going out, having dinner. And Regardless of the establishment, because we've dined at Hole in the Wall, Greasy Spoons, which we love, but we've also done five-star dining, right? Although I know the etiquette between all of those places, especially the five-star institutions, because I've had to spend a lot of time in those um, with some of the roles that I've had in life, I still find myself... And partially because I've been in the service industry in some capacity too. I still find myself needing to tidy up the table before I leave. (laughs) Well, one day I had to ask myself, why am I telling my husband and my son to tidy the table when there's someone who is technically paid to do this, right? They're called bussers. And I'm not talking about stacking your plates and making it easier for your server to take them um, so that way they can bring your next course or bring um, make more room for a drink or something like that. I mean, like we've already paid the check and I'm still trying to tidy to make sure that the table does not look dirty or in disarray. And I sat back and I thought about it for a moment. And I remember my grandmother telling me stories, both of my grandmothers actually, telling me stories about how they were automatically thought of as being dirty, unkempt, 
less than. And that was the reason why whites did not want blacks in the Midwest or in the South to share their lunch counters or to eat in their establishments. And so there was this need to prove that, no, we're just as clean and perhaps in some instances maybe cleaner than many of the people who are trying to lock us out of situations. The truth of that transmutes into you teaching your children and subsequently your grandchildren, you better be clean at all times. Even in situations when it's not their job to clean. I hope this is making sense. This is an important sprinter for me because when we think about what it means for that truth to show up, what you're seeing is the uncut director's version of someone's villain origin story, right? You've heard me use that term because my cousin used it and I thought the shit was hilarious. Shout out to my to my little cousin, Cece Boo. Hi, Boo. But that's what you're getting. When that trauma comes out, you are seeing the behind the scenes additions or edits to this person that they may or may not even be aware of themselves. COVID was a collectively traumatic event, regardless of how you shake it. It's just being honest. And regardless of how we feel about vaccinating, not vaccinating, showing up in this world, not showing up in this world with a mask, like regardless of all that, it was traumatic to have your entire world literally shut down within the course of hours, globally. It was a fucking like shock to everyone's system, right? But within two weeks, Venice had dolphins and clear blue water. In LA, people reported being able to see a clear blue sky. Hello, I go to LA regularly. That smog is thick, baby. (laughs) So for anyone to be able to see a clear blue sky in LA, have clean air, that's huge, right? After two weeks, the collective trauma of being forced to sit down and isolate forced everybody to be able to see the truth of how we've actually been treating our planet or in some instances, how we have not been treating our planet. We've been neglectful, we've been spiteful and all of those things. It also showed you how you've really been nurturing and cultivating your relationships with those who are in your household how you've been treating yourself, how have you been treating your space? I don't know about any of you, but everybody that I knew was on some Marie Kondo shit as soon as the pandemic hit. It was like, purge this. Everybody was like selling shit on Facebook. Everybody was going to the nearest Dropbox for Goodwill or what um, Salvation Army or whatever the... um donation centers are in your area most of those were filled to the brim at least in austin they were i don't know let me know if that was your experience as well but trauma brings out the truth of a situation another instance of this is we notice it in grief 
it's very interesting and usually very telling when a loved one transitions to the ancestral realm, who reaches out to you, who shows up and wants to speak their eulogy or who actually shows up and wants to be a part of remembering and holding space for the family. In many instances, it's the people you least expect that actually showed up and have actually been able to recall a lasting, memorable impact that the person actually left in their lives. And in many instances, the people that you expect to be front row and center are the last people to show up if they show up at all. So I bring this up because it's very interesting to me that when we talk about trauma being individually or collectively, and it brings out the truth, the people who speak the truth to power within the traumatic situations usually are the people who either get shat on, crucified, spat on. I I mean, they usually are the people who get the crappy end of the stick. But what's more important is that it speaks volumes that in some instances, people need to cling to the trauma more so than they're willing to let go of it to embrace the truth. Not only is that toxic, not only is that dangerous, more importantly, it's just downright sick. If you're a person who's navigating any form of physical, psychological, verbal, or spiritual abuse, and yes, I am emphasizing spiritual abuse because that shit is real and it is rampant. Please, by all means, reach out to a mental health crisis center, or if you're not comfortable or unable to find any, I'm happy to be a resource, so please reach out to me at chosenize at chosenize.com and reference this podcast episode. We're going to take a break, and we're going to move into our topic, the sadness of winning. I told y'all this is going to be a heavy-ass episode. Stay tuned. Be right back. you all so never mind some of the sounds you may hear in the background I am navigating being a parent while being well podcaster businesswoman and all of the shit in life so um I am technically on location so please bear with me just a little bit if you hear some sounds that may not just be coming from yours truly but the sadness of winning Chosen eyes, why the fuck are you talking about this sad shit today? Well, it's because, again, I don't believe in toxic positivity. I don't. I think it is one of the worst things in the world that we have done to ourselves. This whole put on a happy face bullshit. Like, no, no, stop it. I think that (laughs) we have to be a little bit more realistic about where we are in time and space in order to truly heal, but also to offer our whole selves. That does not mean that I think you should go around being depressive and sad and 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 staying in those um, in those frequencies. But I do think that the first way to navigate them and to be able to move through them is to acknowledge that they exist in the first place. That being said, let's talk about the sadness of winning. We always talk about you know how great it feels to win and how we're always you know, achieving and moving in those directions. 
DJ Khaled even has a song. All I do is win, 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 which is great. You know, I love it. It's on my, you know, my workout playlist and everything. And that's cool. But I'd like to share a story with you. And yes, it's a personal one. So buckle up. Uh, episode three, I made myself pretty vulnerable to y'all. And so episode six is not going to be much different. So if this is something that can help someone else, I'm happy to dissect myself before the masses. So this is actually something that ah, I'm really nervous about sharing, but I got to move and be obedient with spirit. And I'm being told that I need to share this story. So here goes. Um, for those of you who are new to um, this platform, I am by credential a doctor of acupuncture and I hate that it's oriental medicine, but we're going to say for the purposes of, you know, wanting to be respectful, acupuncture in Eastern or Asian medicine. All right. And so with that, there are two tracks, at least in the way that the curriculum is based in the United States. So you do your master's level training and then you do a doctoral fellowship. Okay. In most states, it's, it's um, I think Florida may be a little bit different, but don't quote me on that. Anywho, I spent just shy of seven years undergoing my training. It was great. It was fantastic for the most part, kind of sort of ish. I loved who I learned from. I loved what I was learning. I learned so much about myself, but more so um, about this incredible ancient form of healing and therapy. And it resonated and aligned very nicely with what it was that I felt um, healthcare should look like in terms of an actual practice, which was great. Life does not stop happening to you when you are in any form of graduate level training. I'm just going to be honest with you. Anyone that has any credential behind their name, please do not think that that shit happened in vacuum. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. People still have babies when they're in medical school or when they're in law school or graduate school. People still have car accidents. People still have life-threatening illnesses. People still have to take care of their families extended or within their nucleus. People lose their houses, their jobs, their cars. Like you all don't understand. Like the people romanticize these titles and these credentials that we get, but they do not appreciate what we give up and sacrifice on a regular basis just to be able to slog through the curriculum to get to the credential. Putting that out there. My med school graduation was one of the saddest days of my life, y'all. I'm going to say that again, because to say that actually felt really great for me to just admit it in a larger form, but because I don't think that some people really think I'm serious when I say that. My med school graduation was one of the saddest days of my life. I can remember putting on my cap and my gown. I remember having on a really nice dress and looking really nice. Makeup done nicely. I can remember the day crystal clear. It was it, it was nice. I remember seeing my advisor. I remember seeing my deans. I remember seeing the president 
of my university and all of them being so proud of me, so happy, celebrating my accomplishment. I remember my family. I remember how proud my mother was and my aunt and one of my um, departed and now ancestral cousins um, and how proud she was because at that point she was in her 90s to be there to represent the elders of my family. I remember all of this. I saw my son, my husband, my aunts, like I, all these people, they're cheering me on. And on the inside, I could not connect. I was standing before a crowd of people who were happier about my accomplishment than I was. I had successfully completed my doctoral fellowship and all the requirements to become a doctor. I had traveled halfway across the country once a month consistently for two, maybe two and a half years without fail. And for the life of me, I couldn't connect. I had done all of those things, been a wife, a mother, a business owner, a daughter who was helping her mother um, convalesce from multiple strokes, um, a granddaughter that was helping her grandparents um, try to convalesce from their ailments. It just seemed like the entire time that I was in med school, my mother, my grandfather, my grandmother could not stay out of the hospital. <laughs> so my aunt and I were tag teaming and one, if I wasn't in LA, she was in LA. If I wasn't in St. Louis, she was in St. Louis. And it was just like, I mean, I racked up all the miles I could on Southwest going back and forth to take care of these people. In addition to taking care of my household and my business. I should have been over the moon that this chapter in my life was over, that I had accomplished something I had set out to do since I was nine years old and that I had done it. I had support, I had all the things, and I'm trying to tell y'all, I was fighting back tears, not of joy, but the flip opposite. So many areas of my life were falling apart during that time. And if they weren't completely falling apart, they were afraid, or in some instances, they were no longer in existence. And the irony of this is that when you start graduate school, at least I know for me this was the case, but I've spoken to some of my colleagues and friends who've done other programs, and this seems to be a growing sentiment. When you start a, uh, I'm sorry, when you start a grad school program, you're asked to look to your left and look to your right. They tell you that if you're married, one of your marriages is going to be over. And for the other person on the other side of you, more than likely one of y'all is not going to be sitting in that seat by the end of the program. They tell you up front that two out of three people drop the program before its completion. Now, I'm grateful that my marriage endured and that my family dynamic was intact. And that 
neither scenario applied to me. So I was very grateful for that, right? But the strain on my psyche to hold it all together, hold myself together, hold my business together, hold my family together, both my nuclear family being my child and my spouse, and then everyone outside of that that means something to me, had reached the point of numb detachment. I couldn't feel shit. Like, really. I remember being hooded. I remember smiling and saying thank you and being polite and genuinely appreciative of the fact that I no longer had to worry about writing a capstone project, um, that I didn't have to worry about turning in any more assignments or having to do any more grand rounds presentations. Like, I remember all of that and be like, oh, okay. But it was more of a checklist kind of did that, did that, did that, turn that in. Yep. Mm -hmm. Done, done, done. There was no joy. I was on emotional autopilot hourly, which carried me through most of my academic years when I actually sat back and thought about it and really did the work with my therapist. Shout outs to my therapist. You know who you are. See you next Tuesday. But on a much deeper level, I had completely left that building, y'all. And that is something that I have not shared for years out of embarrassment. But also, imagine saying that to people who romanticize what it means to undergo that training. I'm going to go so far as to put out there within the black community when people are honest about things like this, because we are constantly reminded that our, how hard that our ancestors fought for us to be able to have these opportunities, which don't get me wrong, I have never taken this for granted. But what I find disheartening is that, yes, they fought for us to have the opportunity. Yes, they they endured far worse than we did. But can we stop minimizing the struggles that we endure in 2022? And hell, even back when I was you know, finishing up school 2018, can we stop minimizing the psychological impact that our modern day traumas place on us? No, it's not the crack of a whip anymore. Guess what it is? It's you have to show up on social media in order to be relevant. No, it's not the crack of a whip in the sense of get over there and go plow those fields. But it's, A, get your ass over there and work a nine to five. That means nothing to you. But also in order to do that and move up and have upper mobility, I need you to go get this other credentialing or this other degree in order to do so. Which means now you have to enter the plantation of debt. To do something that you really don't like, and yes, maybe you have a really great skill set toward it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to bring you joy. Right? Just because someone does something well in your eyes, or they've achieved or accomplished something that you wish that you could, does not mean that they enjoy it, or that the way in which they are meant to wield that credentialing is their calling. I'll give you another example. 
just before graduation, I would say probably about a semester and a half prior. I remember sitting in class, we were in lecture, and I remember that we had a guest lecturer who was talking about herb-drug interactions, which is actually something I really enjoy. Um, she was a really great pharmacist, answered a lot of great questions. But I can remember in this particular session, for some reason, it was a session where everybody seemed to need to sound smarter than the next person, which is not atypical in any form of medical training, right? This happens. Everybody's looking for the hotshot question, the hotshot answer, the, you know, trying to sh like show how astute they were as a student. Okay, cool. I remember hearing about, you know, well, have you heard of this urban, you know, throwing out exotic herbs or, you know, the latest, you know, hot herb in the moment or whatever, right? But I remember hearing all this happening around me. And I remember feeling so out of place because there was no part of me that wanted to engage in that. I was listening. I was attentive in my own way. But I didn't feel the need to engage in that shit. And that started to make me feel very lonely and isolated. Until this wave of calm just washed over me and was just like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here in this capacity. Yes, I need this credential and not, you know, the education, but I'm not supposed to come up with my own herbal product line. I'm not trying to have a six-figure practice that's solely dedicated to acupuncture and, you know, treating people clinically. And for the longest time, I knew that prior to that. But I felt guilty because how would others take me? What about my family? My family, you know, is invested so much in terms of, you know, my son, you know, not having his mom around because I'm traveling and my husband's holding down the fort and all these things. And, you know, this is the quickest way to make money, and you know, with this credential. So I guess I need to lean into it. But every time I thought about that, I was having a series of panic attacks and I didn't know why. I didn't know why, y'all. It's like, why is it that every time I think about starting the clinic, I literally get like this knot in the pit of my stomach? Why is it that whenever I think about teaching, as much as I hate being the center of attention, I actually kind of come alive? Why do I like Q&A sessions so much? But I don't really care to focus solely on diagnosis. Not that I'm not capable, not that I'm not good. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a good clinician. Pretty good, you know, great, if I may say so myself. But... Why doesn't that spark joy? <laughs> it took both of those situations, y'all, seriously, for me to really understand. At my core, it's okay to be unorthodox. And that the sadness of the success or in winning, right, in this moment, wasn't sadness centered around, oh my God, I'm... I'm a winner. I got first place. Uh, right. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like I was sad because I had won. It was because I didn't know what I had won. I had this really great credential that I had newly acquired and worked my ass off for. But at what cost? 
And had I done that for myself, had I done that to save face, had I done that because, well, I said I was going to, you know, be a doctor when I was nine and I don't want to, you know, disappoint anybody and I don't want to go back on my word and I'm not really sure. And why did I do it? For months after, I couldn't, I, I couldn't answer that question. To the extent that it felt incredibly awkward for someone to call me Dr. Brock White. People would call me then and I'd be like, Ugh. and all my other friends would be like, you know, they're being called doctor and they're like, you know, living it up. And I'm just like, oh, please don't call me that. Like, I felt like a fucking fraud. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'll be totally honest. I did. Am I a fraud? No, not at all. But did I feel like one? Fuck yeah. I could I, I I felt like a fraud because I couldn't be excited about being a doctor in the way that I was being told to be a doctor as opposed to not being able to sit in the happiness of you're being called to be a doctor in a very different capacity. That's what I had to learn. Right? So, what does this mean when we start talking about health and wellness, right? So in this story, I would say anecdote, but my life's not anecdotal. In this story, what you heard was a lot of me having internal dialogue, a lot of pensiveness, right? So what part of the body does that attack? Well, spleen and stomach. Now, why am I bringing this up? I had the worst digestive issues while I was in medical school. <laughs> I had never really had digestive issues until I started my programs. I'm just being totally honest with you all. Now, from a TCM, so traditional Chinese medical standpoint, when we start talking about digestive issues, poor metabolism and things of that nature, we're talking about the spleen or as we understand it in um, a conventional medical standpoint, pancreas, right? and stomach. Now, why is that why does that matter? When we talk about poor metabolism, start thinking about your pancreas. Your pancreas secretes a huge amount of enzymes within the body. Okay? And so metabolism, start thinking about hmm, it's easy to kind of go toward like insulin resistance, pre-diabetes, diabetes, things of that nature. All right? But I also want you to start thinking about some aspects that involve your liver, especially for women. That's important, too. Some of the things that I navigated were abdominal distension. So, like, you know, getting really bloated, like I would eat something and then I looked like I was like five months pregnant. Like it was horrible. Um, I navigated something called SIBO, so small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, it took a hell of a lot of herbs and diagnostics and scopes down my throat in order to figure out what was going on and how to heal my gut. But I am grateful that I was able to do so. It took about two years. Got questions about it. Reach out and DM me or email me. That being said, spleen hates pensiveness. So when you worry, when you're constantly in your head, when you are trying to digest your emotions and your thoughts, you're physiologically also asking your spleen, your pancreas, and your stomach to do the same. 
So they're constantly squeezing out all these high stress hormones and high stress. Um, oh, I just had the word. Sorry, I'm recovering from COVID. Um, all these chemicals into your body, right? And you've got all this stress happening in this one place. So yeah, you're going to start feeling the physical manifestation of this within your body because emotionally and spiritually, that's what you're asking this source or this particular area of your body to do. So remember what I said, as above, so below. So if you are mentally digesting a bunch of shit, what do you think the rest of your body is doing? Right? You also heard in the story me getting angry with myself. <laughs> right? What the fuck is wrong with you? What are we doing with our life? Ah! Right? Chase stagnation. <laughs> Namely of my liver. Right? Your liver hates anger. Right? Your liver should be soft and tender, especially it said that, you know, for those of us who are woman identifying, right? It should be soft and tender and it should have free flowing blood. Um, the other thing about the liver is that it's also known as the reservoir of blood in TCM. So this helps a lot when we're talking about not only um, a woman's menstrual cycle, but insomnia, right? If you have blood deficiencies or anything of that nature, um, insomnia is actually something that's really quite common. Um, a lot of people who are anemic, anemic do not do well um, with sleep regulation. So, um, yes, my spleen was definitely compromised. My liver was totally <laughs> out of whack. Um, some of the manifestations of that were chronic pain, um, headaches, um, and those are a result of cheese stagnation. Also, insomnia. Um, between the worry and the pensiveness and the anger toward myself and just everything that was happening, yeah, I, I dealt with a lot of that. If we're looking at things on a more chronic level, then we're talking about your kidney, right? When we're talking about kidney and bladder. So fear is the emotion that is linked with kidney and that damages it. So adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue, always tired, always burnt out, right? Not feeling so great. Um, brain fog. Um, with chronic fatigue in particular, a, a random sore throat that you don't really know why the fuck it's there and it just seems to pop up, namely, especially when you're very tired. Now, I am not telling you that that is the, the telltale sign of chronic fatigue. I'm telling you that is a very common feature. Of course, that overlaps and kind of mimics some other things too. So by all means, please go see your primary care physician if you are experiencing any of these symptoms, especially that. Could be the vid as well. When we're looking at heart and small intestines, we're talking about being overjoyed or too passionate, right? So think manic. Um, that was not my experience, but I did see a lot of grandiosity while I was in med school. And then also you did hear me grieving a little bit, right? Within that story. So that's your lung and your large intestine. Now, my large intestine was definitely not happy, okay? Um, like I said, gut issues, it was not fun. But I also want you to think about the lung as it pertains to your skin. Why? 
There's these things on your skin called ghost gates in TCM. What does a ghost gate sound like to you? Think about it. Come back after this break and I'll tell you about it. Alright, so, ghost gates, what are they? Who thought of it? Type your answers. Pores. Think about it. Your pores are super duper tiny, right? And ghost gates, what do they do? Your pores release sweat, right? They take in air. They do all the things, right? So like ghost gates, right? It's like a little tiny gate that you can't see, but you know it's opening and closing. Eh, eh. Okay, so your lung and large intestine are connected, right? They're cousins. But here's the cool thing about it. When people have issues with grief, right, which is an area that we hold in that particular form of trauma, you see it expressed a lot of times on the skin. Yeah, right? Really random dry patches, flaky skin. Sometimes it can be things like psoriasis where it's a little bit, you know, more raised and inflamed. Um, sometimes it can come as just a regular, as we call it, ectopic dermatitis. So like this, ran or urticaria, this random ass rash that just pops up. And you don't know where the hell it comes from, right? Or your skin just changes in terms of becoming more dry, um, more scaly, more brittle, more dull. You may find that during this time you have difficulty breathing or like asthma. So these are not uncommon traits to have during forms of grief. But again, not like exclusive to that. I'm bringing all of this up because it is part of, one, some of the things that I did navigate within my own physical being while having my own inner spiritual battles and psychological battles, right? But also hoping that in explaining and sharing this with you, you all understand a couple of things. One, what happens in your mind happens in your body and it's real. It's real. And medicine in many instances has not been trained to catch up with that. It's not their fault entirely. Um, they're getting there. They're trying to do better. I will applaud conventional medicine in that regard. But there's still a long ways to go. So if you have been experiencing a lot of stress, a lot of grief, a lot of anger, a lot of emotional turmoil that you have been trying to navigate through on your own, I'm going to highly encourage you to seek out professional help because by holding on to it in your mind, you're also damaging your physiological body. And that's not a good thing because this fleshly body is the car that your spiritual body is driving. So if the car breaks down, what does the soul have to navigate around this world in? Think about that. That's important. The other thing that I hope that it does shed some light on is that in an, in an accomplishment-driven culture such as ours, there is a huge dark side to achievement and placing your expectations of what you want for someone else 
onto them without making sure that it's in line and in sync with what they want for themselves or what they may be needing from themselves. Quite a few people will hear my story and be like, okay, well, chick, you could have just dropped out. Why didn't you? Just think about that. Was that really an option? There are these things called a series of non-options. The financial obligation of being a student, right? How much have I already invested in this? And yeah, true, is it worth my mental health? But if you're in a situation like that and you're that deep into it, you've made those financial commitments and this is supposed to be what's going to be able to feed your family by you having said credential, even if you choose not to utilize it in the conventional sense. Does that really seem like an option for you? Also, yeah, I could have. But then what? I leave that question before you there. And lastly, I don't know how it's worked for any of you, but at the end of the day, whenever I've actually gone against spirit, when something is shown to be part of my course, it hasn't ended very well. <laughs> And perhaps in my, you know, telling of this story earlier, I may have neglected to mention this. Oh, no, I sat down and talked to God and spirit and most high, my angels, everybody. I'm talking to everybody this whole time. Like, what the fuck are you all putting me through right now? Seriously. I ask that question regularly. WTF. Like, is this karma? Did, did I fuck somebody over that I didn't know? Um, am I really not supposed to be doing this? Am I like, am I like swimming upstream? Like, did I just, was this not the route to go? Was I supposed to do something else? And at every turn it was, no, you're right where you're supposed to be. You just can't see that. What you do with this on the other side will be very different. And Sitting in the classroom that day, I remembered that conversation. And that was part of the calm that washed over me. I knew at that point that I was supposed to be a doctor, just not like everybody else. And what's ironic is I came home that weekend and was having a conversation with a good friend of mine, kind of mirroring or, you know, some of those sentiments. And my son at the time, who was seven, looked at me and said, Mommy, there's no question you'll be a doctor. You just won't be like everybody else. You're supposed to be different. Talk about confirmation. So, what's the point in all of this? What does it mean to get larger than your plan, even if it means deviation from said? That's your homework question. And I really want you to think about that. Because my original plan was much smaller than the plan, the, the, well, much smaller than the blueprint I now have before me. And I also want to pivot back to one final thing within my story. 
I'm not ever asking anyone to be a blind, obedient slave to any spiritual or any anything that does not feel good or feel right to you. Here's why I say that. When we go back to the concept of spiritual trauma and spiritual abuse, that is usually a form of gaslighting where people will say, oh, well, I have this message from you from for you from on high, and they use it as a form of manipulation. I'm not telling you to be part of that. What I am saying is that despite my uncertainties, despite my own sadness, and despite how dark and hollow things felt during that time frame, I trusted my guides and my own intuition, and I trusted the feeling that I felt when I, when I felt that on the other side of this, you'll see the progress and you'll see what it was for. And I'm grateful that I actually have been able to like see the fruits of that labor and that trust. But if you ever feel as if someone is leveraging your intuition or their abilities to help you connect to your higher your higher power, your higher self, you need to end that relationship because that's not at all what I'm advocating for. But when we get larger than our original plans, even if it means deviating from what you thought you really wanted or how it should look, give yourself permission to mourn what was, but also give yourself permission to be excited, welcoming, and open to a new opportunity to be a better version of yourself. Because your old plans just let you know that you know how to create a plan, that you know how to follow one, that you know how to navigate one, and that you know how to learn from one. So now you get the opportunity to take some training wheels off, create a new blueprint, execute it, learn from it, share it when applicable, but most importantly, enjoy the ride while you're actually doing all of those. We'll be back in about, take a full 60 seconds to digest all that shit. I know I need to. All right, y'all. My love note to you. Drink plenty of water. Stay hydrated. Shout outs to the Barefoot Empress for always reminding me to do that. Love you, sis. I appreciate you and all the work that you do. Take 50 deep breaths. Fit them in however you can, whenever you can, wherever you can throughout your day. But try to get 50 good ones deep from the belly every single day. Move your body at some point in the day. You'd be surprised at what that does for your neurochemistry, meaning the chemistry of your brain. Well, apparently someone agrees with me. 
but also you'd be very surprised at what it does in terms of helping you to self-soothe in very stressful moments. It's one of the things that I actually used in order to get through med school. Um, so consider that. Fuck up at least once a day. Take the pressure off of yourself. As a recovering perfectionist, I am here to tell you, I make it a point to screw up at least once a day. And then laugh at myself about it. You gotta have a sense of humor about this shit. If you don't laugh through it, you'll cry the rest of your life. And trust me, that is no way to live. And lastly, the end of the day, whatever matters to you, trust that it will always matter to you. And in the event that one day it doesn't, just know that there'll be something else that matters even more. I sincerely hope that this was a helpful episode. I know it was a bit heavy, but I genuinely hope that this story resonated with someone. I just felt like someone needed to hear it and that you know that you're not alone. Someone else has gone through it too. And there is light at the other side of the tunnel. Thank you for holding time and space with me and for me. Thank you for supporting this podcast. If you have any questions, please feel free to head on over to Chosen Eyes at ChosenEyes.com. I'm happy to answer any questions, comments, or concerns. Or if there's any topics that you'd like to learn about. Feel free to head over to my Patreon platform, sign up, and I will be happy to answer any of your questions on air. Y'all take care, and remember, when it comes to talking to yourself, speak easy. easy.